0: Tonight on Huckabee, talk show host and Prager University founder, Dennis Prager, former secretary of education, Betsy DeVos, positively funny man, Brian Bates, Christian rock band, the Newsboys. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And... Huckabee!
1: Hey, Welcome, everybody. We have a great audience here tonight, and we're so glad that you have joined us. Tell you a little story. 50 years ago, in June, 50 years ago long time ago. I was a very young guy. I attended Explo 72 in Dallas, Texas. It was a gathering of over 100,000 young Christians from all over the world for a week of evangelistic training, music, and spiritual encounters with other mostly student Christ followers. Now, it was sponsored by Campus Crusade for Christ, co-hosted by Dr. Billy Graham. It was a seminal event in what was called the Jesus movement of the late 60s and early 70s in which millions of young people turned from the emptiness of drugs, alcohol, and so-called sexual liberation to find a more meaningful life in biblical standards, personal morality, most importantly, a profoundly personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, many of us who found ourselves a part of the Jesus movement, or as some called it, the Jesus revolution, were in some ways refugees from frustrating experiences with legalistic churches that provided very rigid rules of behavior that were considered right and wrong, but with no instruction as to the power to live up to such standards. Through small groups sponsored by Campus Crusade for Christ all over the world and the massive event of Explo, It was nothing less than an explosion of spiritual energy happening that started beyond the church, but which ultimately had a dramatic impact on the church. The best description of Expo 72 was that it was Woodstock for Christians. Really? On the final rally that was held outdoors on a hot Saturday afternoon, over 250,000 people gathered for a day of contemporary Christian music and a message by Billy Graham. Back in those days, there really wasn't a definition of contemporary Christian music. It was rock and roll, but with biblical and godly lyrics. It would later become its own musical genre and sadly become as commercialized as any other genre of music. But in the day, it was raw, organic and unfiltered, but yet unapologetically prophetic and without doubt, straight on gospel message. Explo 72 was life-changing for me. And best I can determine, it was for most all of the other 100,000 youth who gathered in Dallas. This past month, the 50th reunion of those who attended was held at the very scene of the original, the Cotton Bowl, just outside of downtown Dallas. I was supposed to be there. I had flights and hotel booked, And I was registered, but American Airlines canceled my flight just hours before I was to go, so I couldn't make it. But I did participate by Zoom at one of the sessions, and it's not the same as being there. But memories from 50 years ago flooded my soul with reminders of a crossroads in my own life that steered me a very different direction than I could have gone. I was from a very small town of about 8,000 people. And to be in an event with 100,000 people, man, it was overwhelming. I mean, there were more people in line for the restroom on any given moment than even lived in my hometown. (laughs) And one particular moment was definitive for me on the Friday night of Explo 72. Billy Graham spoke on the importance of each of our lives being light in a dark world. We'd been handed a small candle when we entered the stadium that night and we were told just to hold on to it. At the end of his message, Dr. Graham asked that all the lights in the cotton bowl be turned off. It was suddenly pitch dark. He then lit his candle from the stage and he turned to Dr. Bill Bright, the CEO of Campus Crusade and lit his candle. They in turn lit the candles of two others and the four became eight in 16, 32, 64, and beyond. And every second or so, the number of candles doubled so that in a very short period of time, over 100,000 candles illuminated the cotton bowl so that the orange glow of the flickering flames was so bright that people living in the cotton bowl neighborhood called the Dallas Fire Department to report, the cotton bowl was on fire. (laughs) Actually, it was but not like they were used to. While the image of a 100,000 candles lighting up the cotton bowl was a sight I'll never forget, it was actually another sight that proved to be life changing for me that evening. Because when the lights were all turned off and Billy Graham lit the single candle, he told us that the darker things were, the more impact happened from the tiny light of a small candle. That moment, It was as if God reminded me that the world I lived in was dark and separated from Him. I felt inadequate, unprepared, insignificant, and unimportant in such a time and a place. But then and there, I was reminded that even a small light in darkness has an impact. Before that night, I doubted, quite frankly, I would ever amount to much or that I would ever do anything important. That moment changed that. And from that time on, I believe that God actually wanted to use me. And more importantly, that he could. I was never the same. And 50 years later, I still pray that that little light of mine will always shine. As my first guest tonight puts it, we live in the age of the absurd. Down is up, dark is light, evil is good. Let me tell you, there's plenty of opportunity to let our light shine. And Dennis Prager joins us to discuss the fights that we need to take on and boy, do we ever. Don't go away, Dennis Prager coming up next right here.
0: Still ahead, former Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos, later in case you missed it, and comedian Brian Bates, stay with us. And sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovByCuckabee on Twitter.
1: And welcome back. Dennis Prager is a nationally syndicated radio host, a best selling author, and then something really important. He is the founder of Prager U, And his group's mission is to promote American values through educational videos. Now, those videos have racked up, get this, more than 5 billion views online. I think it's fair to say he's making an impact. Please welcome back to the show, but for the first time in our studio, Dennis Prager. Dennis, Wonderful. so glad to have to be you. With
2: you. Hi, everybody, and Governor, thank you.
1: I am uh, blown away by the impact of Prager U. Well. Did you ever think it would be no, such an No, I, I, I Never. Never. Uh, but I, I have to say,
2: the New York Times just did Prager PragerU and me, the greatest favor possible, just just in the fast few days. It had a front-page article on Elon Musk, and it said he's become so conservative, he must be watching U videos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a compliment. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. You, you cannot buy that kind of publicity. That is correct. But you know, everyone that I have known who has seen the Prager, U videos, recognize that they're practical. They're not long, so people can certainly uh, manage to to watch them in their busy schedules. But they're also done very professionally, and powerfully. It's not possible
2: for people to to know how much work goes into every one of the five minute videos. Uh, we fact check everything over and over there are about 5 editors plus the presenter i'm one of the editors so i know how much work goes into it and that's part of the reason for for what's well, a big part of the reason for its success so here is what i would like parents to know and it's free so i'm not doing any fundraising here no. every video everything we put out is free i believe that unless your child is going to study STEM, science, technology, engineering, or math, they would learn more, be a finer human being, and truly significantly be wiser if they watched our 500 videos than if they went to Princeton.
1: I totally agree. And they would have such a much more balanced worldview. Dennis, you have made the comment that the left ruins everything it touches. That's right. And I think a lot of us would agree with that. What happened? There used to be somewhat of a balance between the left and the right, and people would talk and dialogue, get along, even compromise and and find solutions. Those days are gone.
2: Those days are gone because when we used to think left-right, we thought liberal-right or liberal-conservative. Liberals vote for the left, but they share no left-wing values. So it is the tra- that is the tragedy in, in a nutshell. Liberals don't vote their values. Mm. The protector of liberal values is the conservative. We protect free speech. We protect a free economy. We protect America's a- a- alliance with Israel. Liberals were noted for their love of Israel. Uh, John Kennedy and 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 Daniel Patrick Moynihan and Henry Jackson, but that that's the left has taken over the Democratic Party, and they've ruined the Democratic Party just as they have ruined the 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 press and the arts and architecture and elementary schools
1: and human happiness. When you talk about things being absurd, uh, you've written that there are eleven examples. Right. Give us some of the things that have become well, just mind-numbing crazy.
2: Well, I, I listed in in my piece number one: men, men give birth. So here is a here is <laughs> well. So here's a very interesting little story, and all of you can watch this on the internet. I was on Bill Maher's show uh, October right before the lockdowns. By the way, I never say before COVID. COVID was not the issue. The destructive issue was the lockdowns. Mm. So I always say before lockdowns.
1: Good distinction.
2: So this was October or November of of 2019. I was on the show and he was telling me, of course, President Trump was still president, how much President Trump lies. And I said, it doesn't compare to the amount of lies the left tells. And of course, I'm the only non liberal, or non-left in, in the entire building. Yeah. And which I love, by the way. I get it. Yeah. I, I, it's actually a high for me. And, and, and so I, I, said, I said, it doesn't compare. And he says, oh, yeah, like what? And I said, well, for example, like America is systemically racist. That is a gigantic lie. It is the least racist, multi-ethnic, multicultural, or a multi-racial country in world history. Uh, And uh, and I'll give you another one. Men menstruate. And Bill Maher starts to laugh. And the whole panel I'm with on stage starts to laugh. And the entire audience is laughing. And Bill Maher goes, "Uh, who says that? You could all see it. It's gone viral on the internet. Who says that? Now every leftist says that. Yeah. In other words, what was regarded as absurd by Bill Maher and his audience and his panel just two and a half years ago is now normative on the left. So that's just one. I, as you said, I, I wrote eleven, and I don't remember them uh, all by heart. But uh, uh, well, um, America's systemically racist is an absurdity. Yeah. Uh, as I, this is one of the great questions to ask. Any of your relatives... Can I look at the audience please? Absolutely. Hey. They love you. They and, love you here. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> so, I want you to ask, because I do this all the time, so raise your hand if you, if you don't have a leftist in your extended family. <laughs> no hands go up. Yep. Okay. So, so, I say, ask them totally uh, honorably... Uh, just ask them this, do you think America is systemically racist? They'll say yes, otherwise they're not a leftist. And, and then say, so I'm curious, how do you explain three million blacks moving to America from Africa and the Caribbean in the last few decades? So now they'll, they may deny it, but you could say look it up it's, and you give them a New York Times source. Uh, which to them, is like giving a, a Christian or a Jew a biblical source. <laughs> and, 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 and so just say it's 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 there. How do you explain? So either all of those three million blacks are stupid, or it's not true. One, there are only two possibilities. As I say, did any Jews move to Germany in the 1930 s? Yeah. <laughs> N- not one. Yeah. As bad as it was for Jews in Eastern Europe, not one moved to Germany because Germany really was systemically racist. Yeah. But America is the land of opportunity for black Africans and black Caribbeans. That's the point. It is the land of opportunity for every race. Absolutely.
1: That's pretty uh, compelling. Very compelling. Well, I I just think it's so important what you're doing. And I'm pretty sure that the reaction you're getting from this audience is a little different than the one you got from Bill Maher's audience.
2: Right. So I want you to know, though, as much as I am touched by your audience's reaction, and I I truly am, I don't know if I am more motivated by this or when I'm booed.
1: (laughs) I don't. They both motivate me. (laughs) Profoundly. (laughs) Well, Dennis, I can tell you this. You motivate millions of Americans with the wisdom that you have done. The radio show is, in my mind, a small part of what you're doing, but your books and, more importantly, PragerU, which Mm -hmm. must be one of the most ingenious ideas that anyone has come up with in the last 50 years, it is just a godsend to this country.
2: I I just need to say, because God is watching, it wasn't my idea. (laughs)
1: You're, you're humble to say it, but without you, it would not That's have it. happened. Without me, <laughs> it, it would be something
2: else. That's true. But, at, but it was Alan Estrin's idea, my, my buddy, the producer of my show, uh, and I always want him to get the credit.
1: That's why we want to have you back. Thank you very much. And we do. Our audience is going to want to check out everything Thank that you. Dennis Prager is doing with Prager U. If you head to Huckabee.tv, we'll have a connection directly to PragerU and all the things about Dennis Prager's radio show. And you're gonna wanna have it. If you've not been familiar with the PragerU videos, man, tonight's a great time to start watching them. You will get addicted to them. Speaking of addicted to things, Keith Bilbrey is addicted to telling us what's on the show for the rest of the evening. So we're gonna turn it over to him and see what he's got to tell us. Well,
0: there's plenty of laughs ahead with comedian Brian Bates. And up next, the crazy side of the news with, in case you missed it, on Huckabee.
1: Samaritan's Purse is doing such incredible work all over the world. And we're so thankful to the generous people just like you who make it possible for this great ministry to continue expanding God's kingdom by reaching people's physical as well as their spiritual needs. Now, if you want to give to Samaritan's Purse, visit their website or call them today. Thanks and God bless. Well, a couple of years ago, we introduced you to some Huck's heroes from an incredible organization called Mercy Chefs. Wow, well, they must have been busy since last time we met. And we thought it was maybe time for a little update on where they're making a difference around the world.
3: Unfortunately, since the last time I was on the show, we've been very busy. We're that kind of group that if you're busy, it's not a good thing. But we've had fires, we've had floods, we've had hurricanes, we've had tornadoes. We have war in a foreign country and Mercy Chefs has been at the heart of all of those. Well, one of the big things we were involved in um, over the last year, year and a half, was Hurricane Ida in New Orleans. Just what a brutal storm. Our team came together. It was unbelievable to see them step up to the challenge. There were several days in a row that we went over 22,000 meals a day, with all of those going out to remote locations around the state of Louisiana. Then there was Waverly. What a horrible flood there, and a beautiful little town caught the people by surprise and just tore the city up. The loss of life, the loss of homes, and Mercy Chefs was at the heart of that as we fed victims, we fed volunteers, and we fed first responders as they they went through the rubble and the debris and tried to make sense of life that had just been tumbled together in the flood. You know, we have a tradition of going back places that we worked during the year for the holidays. We were back in Waverly when the December 10th tornadoes tore through Western Kentucky. So we went right from there. We were on site in Mayfield in less than 12 hours of when the tornado went through, we were able to serve our first meals. And it just captured our hearts, the damage that the people there saw. I mean, the town of Mayfield was just utterly destroyed. So Mercy Chefs has made a commitment in Western Kentucky and we are still there serving out of our beacon of hope. We've served over 120,000 meals and every day we continue to take meals into Mayfield, Kentucky. In the middle of this crazy year, when you think you've seen everything, long comes a war in Ukraine. Mercy chefs went over. We asked what the greatest need was and they said it was for groceries and on the front lines. So we leased a warehouse, we built a trucking company, and we began buying food from all over Europe and trucking it into Ukraine to the very front lines, the cities that you hear on TV. Those are all places that Mercy Chefs has been bringing food. To date, we've moved over two and a half million pounds of food to the front lines of the war in Ukraine, feeding the people there that are suffering under such a brutal attack. Our call at Mercy Chefs is to feed people, to just go feed body and soul. We have incredible people that just give their life to sharing a meal to people that that are, are in need or hurting. Our Mercy Chef team, what an incredible bunch of people. So this year promises to be equally challenging to the last 16 years. We have a big hurricane season on the way, our work in Ukraine continues, and we just appreciate you guys shining a light on what we're doing. And we'll be back, we'll give you updates, and we'll let you know what's going on in the world of Mercy Chefs. Thank you guys for being a part of what we do.
1: Carol LeBlanc and Mercy Chefs are doing some incredible work, and it's an honor for us to call him a Huck's hero. You can find out more about Mercy Chefs and help support their vital work by going to Huckabee.tv. Now, you know, Keith, there are some stories that just make you feel good, don't oh, they? absolutely, yeah. I mean, some great stories. And you know what will make you feel not so good? What's that? Our next segment, because from a banana mountain to Velveeta-scented <laughs> fingernails, we've got the cheesiest news you've ever heard that'll make you queasy on In Case You Missed It. All right. Well, we got to talk about this first because we recently had a whole stage full of Elvis impersonators on our show. It was cool. It was great. But the company that licenses Elvis's name and image, they ordered Las Vegas wedding chapels to stop offering Elvis themed weddings. Really? I mean, I'm just shocked. I mean, having an Elvis marry you is pretty much a big part of Vegas's $2 billion a year wedding industry. And I've already ordered my wig. I was going to go out there and do that this summer. (laughs) By the way, $2 billion, that's almost as much money as Reno makes on divorces. So (laughs) that's a lot of money. By the way, the Elvis licensors, they claim they just want to be a partner with the chapels to ensure that they're fully licensed and authorized. But I got to tell you, Keith, my suspicious mind tells me that they want a hunk a hunk of the prophets is what yeah. they And many struggling family on chapel say that without Elvis, they can't be taken care of business in a flash. And these <laughs> wow. folks, I know you'll be surprised, but they're all shook up. They really are. <laughs> it gets worse. They're feeling way down. They are. <laughs> they're crying in the chapel. That's what they're doing. Howling like a hound dog. <laughs> they won't surrender but it's now or never Oh! what they're doing. They're begging the licensors, don't be cruel. <laughs> All right. I'm getting a signal from the producers Please. that if I don't end this right here, we're going to have to buy an Elvis license. Yeah, so I, I, think I, think I, better. I think you're headed that way. Well, here is a, I call it an appealing story. Okay. A Jewel Osco supermarket in Westmont, Illinois, created a display of 70,000 pounds of bananas. Now, if they'd added 50,000 jars of peanut butter, the Elvis people would have sued them. (laughs) But all of this was to break the Guinness World Record for the largest display of fruit. Now the record for the largest display of nuts is still in Congress. (laughs) Now, most of the bananas were given to a local food bank, which will be serving banana bread for the next five years. Uh-huh. How many people out in this audience have black, old bananas in your freezer you put there because you say you're going to make banana bread someday? A uh, bunch of you.
0: Folks How many
1: times have you made banana bread with those old bananas? That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, speaking of yellow foods, ladies, here's a great way to attract men. This will do it. Velveeta is partnering with Nails Incorporated to offer limited edition nail polishes that smell like Velveeta cheese product. The red is called La Dolce Velveeta, and the yellow is called Finger Food. And that's because if men smell it, they'll bite your fingers off. Keith, would would that product appeal to you? Well, my fingernails always smell like Velveeta. Yeah, I thought so. You want to smell? Please don't smell. Gosh, he's not kidding. (laughs) So does does his breath. I mean, it's just weird. Well, normally, I got to tell you, I'm not a big fan of more laws, but Spain is considering one that I might just get behind. The government wants to make it mandatory for companies with those endless voicemail menus to allow callers to choose to talk to a live human being instead. I like this. (laughs) Now, the government says that businesses shouldn't force customers to endure an intolerable bureaucratic labyrinth. That's what the government is for, to create that. (laughs) But the companies, they're fighting back. Not surprised. They're they're fighting back. They plan to discourage callers from asking to talk to a human being. And here's how they're going to do it. They're going to hire the cast of The View to be the people on the other end of the (laughs) phone. (laughs) Yeah. Finally, our video of the week gives new meaning to the phrase, duck. You see, someone captured this tiger. Look at this, sneaking up on a duck. Wow. Now, the tiger can practically taste it when suddenly it's gone. Where did he go? Oh, there he is, sailing safely on. Now, why does this remind me of all the Democrats' attempts to get Trump? LAUGHTER <laughs> I may be thinking that's Donald Duck right there. <laughs> All right, it's time for us to duck out of here. But until next time, always remember that we read the news. Well, right around the corner,
0: former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and later the Newsboys performed live on Huckabee.
1: Welcome back. Betsy DeVos has decades of experience in the education freedom trenches. She served as the education secretary in the Trump administration. And she says the time has come for a new approach to American education because we've tried throwing truckloads of money at schools. And that even that didn't make them open school any sooner during the pandemic. We've tried banning poisonous ideologies like critical race theory, but that's not stopping the radicals from trying to indoctrinate kids. So maybe, just maybe, the real answer is school choice. I want you to welcome to the show former Secretary of Education and the author of this brand new book called Hostages No More, Betsy DeVos. Madam Secretary, welcome. <laughs>
4: Thank
1: <you so> much. <laughs> I, I am very, very glad. To welcome you and to talk about this book, because you were on the front lines fighting for education freedom, and the neat thing was the teachers unions just loved you for that, right?
5: They did indeed.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're the only secretary of education that needed personal protection because of the threats. I, I just don't even understand that.
5: I know it was it was really hard to understand, and it still is. Um, my heart and my advocacy for 30 plus years has been for kids and for their futures. Uh, but there are, there are powerful forces that stand against that in the, in the form of the teachers unions, or as I like to refer to them, the school unions, because they try to envelop everybody into their, into their network.
1: We've seen some pretty crazy things lately. Uh, school boards uh, in places like Virginia that essentially told parents, just shut up and send your kids to us. We'll take it from there.
5: That's right. I mean, there was a a definitive governor's race in Virginia that really hinged on the the differences between the two candidates, one doubling down on protecting the system and protecting the status quo, and the other standing with parents and kids. And uh, Glenn Youngkin was victorious in that.
1: He he was, and that was a big part of it. And, And I think there was some just shock that the Department of Justice even talked about having a special unit that would call parents who would go to a school board meeting and express themselves domestic terrorists. Yes,
5: sending the FBI out to investigate them. I mean, it's just inconceivable.
1: You talk about uh, the importance of parents being involved in their kid's life in this book, Hostages No More. I love the title, because really, in in some ways, parents um, and children are being held hostage by an educational establishment that sort of says, we got this, don't interfere with us. When you went to the Department of Education, I don't think anybody doubted that you were going to be a disruptor, that you intended to be, to try to say, there's got to be better ways. We've tried the big money approach. Results are not good. Exactly. Uh, you're a champion for school choice. Tell, tell us what that looks like.
5: Well, I like to actually refer to it more broadly as education freedom, Hmm. because when we talk about school choice. I like
1: that. I like that a lot. Well, we
5: we think about buildings, and education can actually happen well beyond buildings. And we need to think more broadly about what that experience could be like for kids in their K-12 years. There's a small school in West Michigan, where I'm from, And you all know Michigan is pretty, pretty cold in the winter, but this is a a school, this is a school that uh, is outdoors. Kids are outdoors all day long and they choose to be there. And the teachers who are there choose to be there. In the winter? In the winter, they have special suits to be outside and they're doing their activities and projects. And they'll come in inside for short periods of time to check in with their teacher on some of the things they're learning, but they're outdoors the entire school day and that's what they love to do, and that's where they love to be. So my point is, we need to get beyond thinking about buildings that exist, and Uh we need to think about what education can look like and how it can uh, generate enthusiasm and stoke the curiosity that's naturally innate in children. So education freedom is the term I like to use, and it's supported by policies that give parents the control of the, the resources that are already spent on that child.
1: Madam Secretary, for some people, that's still going to be their neighborhood public school. That's that's going to be their best choice. Absolutely. And I I want to be always fair to say there are some fantastic teachers across America. My sister being one of them who retired after 38 years in the classroom. So I love our teachers. But even the teachers don't get to have educational freedom most Exactly.
5: Education freedom would actually be awesome for teachers because they could find the kind of fit that works for them Maybe maybe you're a teacher who does really well with multi age children at multiple levels more of a one-room schoolhouse type thing Mm. And maybe you're a teacher that loves a a traditional classroom setting Maybe you're a teacher that loves to teach outdoors But this would give teachers a full range of options and, and possibilities and it would also value teachers in a way like never before.
1: But we're seeing a lot of parents, they're making choices to either homeschool, Mm -hmm. send their kids to a a Christian school or maybe a private school. In the world of educational freedom, how would it work so that parents, not just the wealthiest, who can send their kids anywhere they want, they can even ship them off if they want to, they can afford to do that. A lot of parents can't afford to pay the tuition. How would educational freedom work for a single mom who loves her kids as much as the wealthiest person in town, how does that help her?
5: Well, if that mom was able to get the resources, and on average, we spend $15,000 per child per year in this country. Mm. Some places more, considerably more, and some places less. But on average, if that, if those resources were attached to that child, the backpack in a, a metaphor, um, that mom could buy that child's education wherever she wanted
1: to. What is the biggest obstacle to moving us from where we are to what you've just described, which I I would like to think that most of our folks even in this room would say, I like that better.
5: Uh, The biggest impediment is the status quo headed up by the teacher unions, the school unions, and all of their allies i got to learn and and experience most of those in washington it's an alphabet <laughs> yes, soup full of organizations yeah. and you know they all have many lobby lobbyists but they're all lobbying for adult issues and for uh, the power and the resources that they enjoy today to protect those and enhance those hmm. and indeed we've been enhancing them my argument is we need to turn those resources back around to the parents to direct and control And we'll see a lot, first of all, we'll see a lot more creativity around the uh, kind of experiences kids can have in their learning. And there will be a lot more accountability because the families will be able to make those decisions. There'll be hostages no more. And I I just wanted to mention about the the hostages no more is a provocative title. Yeah. But it's a, a reference to what Horace Mann, who's commonly known as the founder of our education system, 175 years ago said that educators are entitled to look upon parents as having given hostages to our cause.
1: Wow, no wonder the book is called Hostages No More. Uh, I think parents across America are one gonna hear from the former Secretary of Education who spent a lifetime trying to bring real reform to the educational environment. Our audience is going to want to check out your latest book, Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. We have a link to the book and to also Secretary DeVos at Huckabee.tv, along with all the social media channels that you need to keep up with Betsy DeVos. Speaking of keeping up with stuff, Keith Bilbrey, he has been keeping up with what's going to be on this show, and he's going to tell us about it right now.
0: Well, stay right there. There's lots more shows still to come with comedian Brian Bates and the music of the Newsboys on Huckabee. Go to shop.huckabee.tv to get your Huckabee fan made in the USA mugs,
1: T-shirts, and more. And welcome back. Tonight's comedian is from Ratchier, Ratchier in Nashville. But he performs all over America. You might have heard him on the Ground Ole Opry and Sirius XM's Laugh USA. His dry bar comedy special is called Uber Important. Would you please welcome the hilarious Brian Bates?
4: Thank you so much, everyone. I am so excited to be here to tell you guys I am 50 years old, and my wife and I just had our first baby. How about that? She is two months old. My poor wife has not had one night of sleep because of all the crying. It got so bad last night, she said, if you don't pull it together, you're going to wake the baby. I'm 50. My wife's 45. It's both of our first child, and people way overanalyze when we tell them that, why we waited so long to have children. They're like, was it a voice from God, a midlife crisis? And the truth is, no, we just wanted help with our computer. (laughs) We got questions. Most parents say, time, slow down. We're like, time, speed up. We need some help. (laughs) Now, the real truth is, we just got married two years ago. I was 48, she was 43, it was both of our first marriage. And the crazier thing is, we actually dated for a short time, like 11 years earlier, it just didn't work out. We went our separate ways. But again, for some reason, our friends way overanalyze it. They somehow now think that's a romantic story. They're like, "Oh, Did you guys go your separate ways because you knew the timing wasn't right? and that someday God would bring you two back together. And we're like, no. (laughs) We went our separate ways because we both thought we could do better. (laughs) We were wrong. Uh, (laughs) We were very wrong. We were still in our 30s and had hope and... uh, After 11 years of trying to upgrade, we're like, whew, we better just put a tourniquet on this. Stop the bleeding. (laughs) This is the best either one of us is going to (laughs) do. So we had a uh, small wedding. Uh, Not our choice, our friend's choice. Yeah, they didn't want to be there. Uh, (laughs) At our age, our friends were like, you missed the wedding window by like 20 years. Uh, I'm not missing another Saturday of college football. At my age, I had a hard time finding friends to even being my wedding. I asked my one buddy to be my best man. He's like, Man, I'd love to do it, but uh, with my bad knee. <laughs> if it rains, the thing will lock up on me. <laughs> you know who was excited about me getting finally married? My church. Because they didn't know what Sunday school class to put me in. I go to a big church, has all kinds of classes for all types of different backgrounds, not for a 48-year-old single man. They were stumped. They didn't know what to do. They're like, we can't put them in the youth group. <laughs> but now I'm in a marriage class at my church, and my married friend said, man, you got to be careful out there on the road, because now that you're married, women will find you more appealing. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, It's true. It's a turn on to them. They see that wedding band on your hand. It's a challenge to them. So you got to be careful out there. Don't give in to temptation. I'm like, you are crazy. I did not believe them, folks. I did not. But sure enough, I was right. Um, (sighs) (sighs) It has not been a problem at all. Not one bit. God has covered me in more protection than I asked. Uh, I mean, he is really looking out for me. <laughs> My wife and I have learned a lot about each other over the last two years. She knows I don't know how to fix things, and I think she's fine with it. I think she maybe wishes I wasn't quite so proud of it. <laughs> the other day I came home, and she said, where have you been? And I said, I went to AutoZone to get a headlight. She said, why'd you go all the way to AutoZone for? And I said, because they'll put in the headlight for you. She said, it takes a big man to have to ask another man to put in a headlight for him. I was like, well, it was actually a woman, so. (laughs) Shame on you for assuming. (laughs) We said we weren't going to be these parents. They always thought our kid was the best, the brightest, whatever. But something changes once you have a child. I mean, day two of her birth First time she's around other children, we get competitive. We walk down to the nursery, and I'm like, that is the cutest baby in this nursery. And then my wife said, that's the cutest baby in any nursery. And then I said, that's the cutest baby in the history of the world. And then my wife said, I don't think that's our baby. (laughs) Wait, yeah, our baby's over there. I was like, oh, well, our baby is super cute, but that baby is killing it. Kudos to those parents. <laughs> We're trying to uh, get healthy now as parents. We've got to stay in shape. We've got to be there for our child. We've cut out fast food. We've cut out all fast food, except Chick-fil-A. We like Chick-fil-A. Governor, you like Chick-fil-A? Yeah. We love Chick-fil-A. But does anyone else think the drive through service at Chick-fil-A is getting a little too good? They are meeting you so far out there now. I don't even realize it's them. I thought it was a homeless guy with an iPad. <laughs> and they're like, what can we get you? Uh I'd like to get off the interstate first. <laughs> this does not feel safe. How is your Wi-Fi so good? Pulling up to the next window. What window? I'm at Arby's right now. I don't even see a window. I don't even see the building chick fil is so good, they're eventually just going to be waiting for you in your car. You're just going to come out one day, get in your car, and be like, oh my gosh. And they're going to be like, when you were coming, God told us. <laughs> Folks, I'm Brian Banks. Thank you all so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Brian, great having you Thank here. Thank you so much. That Thank was you. great. Thank you so much. I think we've all experienced <clears throat> that whole deal with Chick-fil-A. has been. Oh, yeah. The experience we've all had hmm. now if you want to see more of brian bates including his dry bar comedy special called uber important as well as if you want to book him and follow him on social media visit huckabee.tv for all the links now believe it or not we've got a lot more show ahead so keith bilberry is going to tell all of us what's coming up next my pleasure. Stay right where you are because coming up is a
0: terrific musical performance by the Newsboys on Huckerby.
1: Multi-platinum-selling supergroup Newsboys has released over 20 albums since their inception in 1985, winning numerable Dove and Billboard awards. Now, their latest album takes aim at the rampant uncertainty and anxiety caused by the pandemic and racial and political unrest. The result is a wonderful piece of music called Stand, one of the most thoughtfully crafted releases of their career, which is home to the encouraging and upbeat song that they're going to perform for you now. It's called Magnetic. Would you please welcome Newsboys?
3: As soon as I open
0: my eyes, it's the same voice from the inside. Already so heavy. Weighing on my soul All the fear, all the worry All the heartache, all the hurting Colliding with your light And trying to steal my hope Some days I'd i lose my way More doubt than paper every time
4: so deep, you're so patient,
0: you're so gracious, it's unconditional, even when I try to go my own way, even when my heart is in the wrong place, you bring it back around like a boomerang, just like a boomerang. Oh!